Welcome to the Watoto Church Podcast. Prepare your heart as we explore scripture and delve into the Word of God. Welcome to church today. Great to be with you. We're in the middle of a series on the judgment of God. This is our third message. And I want to talk about a very important subject today, the judgment of the believer for his works at what we call, the Bible calls, the judgment seat of Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, bless your word as we preach it. May the truth about your judgment settle in our hearts. May we prepare for what you have for us in the days that lie ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We began our series by talking about the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to put an end to the madness and the rebellion of this world against his sovereignty. He's coming back to judge the nations, to judge the people, to judge the rulers of the earth. It's all in the Bible. He's coming back to set up his eternal earth kingdom here on the earth. The next event, next great event, is the rapture of the church, when suddenly the trumpet of God will blast, Christ himself will give a command, and the dead in Christ will rise, and then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll be with him forever. After that, God's plan for judgment will begin. It begins with resurrection along with judgment. There are two resurrections, two judgments, and two deaths. The first death is physical death. We're all going to die. It's appointed unto man once to die. The second death is spiritual death, spiritual eternal separation from God. After each death, there's a resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection that Jesus talked about when he said there is a resurrection, that the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. This is Jesus, two resurrections, one to life and one to damnation. So there are two deaths, two resurrections, and then there are two judgments. Each judgment follows each one of the resurrections. The first resurrection is the resurrection to life. It will be followed by the first judgment, which is called the judgment seat of Christ. This is a judgment of the believer, not for sin, but for his works, for his practical demonstration of his surrender to the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus, what he did with his Christian life so that he may receive his reward and be assigned a, ro a role in the new heaven and new earth. We're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ today. Very important. The second resurrection is the resurrection to damnation for unbelievers who've rejected Christ, where they are judged for their sin and death and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. It's the judgment for unbelievers. Our only hope is Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And then last week we looked at eight principles, nine principles rather of judgment written into the word. This is what judgment is like. Number one, it's certain. Number two, God's the judge. Number three, God has committed all judgment to Jesus, the son. Number four, judgment is based upon truth. Number five, judgment is according to what we have done. Number six, judgment is without respect of persons. God is impartial. Number seven, judgment is according to the light that we have received. Everyone has received some light. No one is without excuse. 
Number eight, there are different levels of punishment and reward. To whom much is given, much is required. Number nine, judgment is in time and eternity, not just in the future, but there are consequences that come into our lives right now. Today, I want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. This is the judgment of the believer. It is after the first resurrection, when we are caught up to be with the Lord, we will stand before the judgments of Christ to give an account for our lives. Our text for this series is really Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. We all will die. We will all be held accountable. So what happens to those of us who love Jesus and die? Well, the Bible teaches us that we're going to heaven immediately and we're going to be given a new body. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are here in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we need to understand that when we die, we immediately go to heaven. Paul is explaining about the believer's death. We put on a new body. To die is to be with the Lord. Paul said to, to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in, in Corinthians again, in light of the fact that we're going to die and we're going to go to heaven and we're going to given a new body, we're going to be with the Lord. Verse nine, this is what he says. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Paul says to Christians that we live our Christian lives here to please the Lord. We make it our goal to please the Lord. I know there's been a grace message that's been out that says, why are you trying to please the Lord? Why are you doing works? Because we want to please the Lord. That's what Paul said he wanted to do. The King James Version says we labor. Why do we work? Why do we labor? Why do we try to please God? Because verse 10, the next verse says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is written to Christians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We labor, we work, we make it our goal to please him because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians, so that each of us may receive, what do we receive? A reward, a role, one that is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the judgment of the believer for good or bad works. It's for how we lived our lives as believers, for what we actually did or did not do 
as a believer in serving Christ, it is for our practical demonstration of our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. The judgment of the believer is so that he can receive a reward so that he can receive a role in heaven and the new earth. This is very important. I need you to hear me. This is not a judgment of our good works or our bad works to receive salvation. It's not a judgment for our sin. Salvation only comes through Jesus by faith in what Christ did by grace. All believers, number one, all believers have been saved, not by their works, but by faith in the goodness, the grace and the mercy provided by God through Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight to nine, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what Jesus did. And when we put our faith in him, we receive eternal life. Titus, Paul wrote to Titus, his son, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our, of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saves us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus, our savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good because we're saved. We do something. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul tells his young disciple Titus that salvation only comes through God's mercy and grace. But then he says, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in Christ may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Our works are important. We're not saved by those works. We're saved to do good works. Paul said to Titus, he said, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. How are they profitable to us? Because our good works will produce a reward at the judgment seat of Christ that Jesus himself will award us. So all believers have now already been declared free of all condemnation. Christ was condemned on our part. John chapter three, verse 16 to 18 says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we confess him as Lord, all condemnation for sin is removed. Our sin is blotted out. Jesus put it this way in John chapter five, verse 24. Truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The moment we receive Christ 
We are in possession of eternal life. We do not have to wait for death or a future judgment to receive new life. Our sins have been forgiven once and for all, blotted out forever. We have crossed from death to life. There is provision for us if we are Christians, if we sin after we've become Christians. John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John also said in, in the second letter that he wrote, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with a father, a lawyer, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with salvation or condemnation, but everything to do with works and rewards. Only believing Christians will be here. We labor, we work, we aim to please him. Why do we do this? Not to receive salvation. Why do we labor to please him? Why do we work? Because we love him and adore him. Because we are thankful to him for what he is, has done for us and who he is to us. Because we want to honor him. Because there is need all around us and we must meet that need. We want to please him because we will receive a reward for our faithfulness. We want to please him because we will be assigned a role in the eternal kingdom of Jesus. We owe God nothing in terms of our salvation. The only thing we can do is live a life of consecration, devotion, and servant as his servants, as his children. So Christians are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It is appointed unto man once to die after that judgment. Christians, we will be judged. There is a judgment day coming for every single one of us, a judgment for our works. It is called the judgment seat of Christ. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There are so many Christians who do not realize that even though they're going to heaven, they will still be judged for what they have done as Christians. Paul writes the same things to the believers in Rome. He wrote to the Romans, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? Here it is again. For we must all stand before God's judgment seat as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. That's the message of the Bible to believers. We will all stand before the God's judgment seat. This is the future judgment of believers, not a judgment of condemnation for sin, but a judgment of works for reward. So what will this judgment seat look like? What will this judgment look like? We read more about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here, Paul talks about his ministry as an apostle. There was an argument among the Christians. It was going around the church. 
Who is your favorite preacher? Apollos or Paul? And listen to Paul's answer. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul said everybody has a task that God has assigned to them. And that's true of you and me. And then he goes on and he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Everything we do, we do for him, but by his strength. If we succeed, it's because of what God does through us. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. This is Paul writing about Christians and what we do. We will each receive a reward from the Lord for our faithfulness to the assignment that he gave us. Verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace of that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. Listen to this. But each one should build with care. We must be careful what we do as believers in building the kingdom of God, in building the church. Verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds the work that we do, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. What we have done in building the church will be revealed for what it is. What you and I did as Christians will be judged for a reward. Nothing will be hidden. It will all come to light because the day will, the, the day will bring it to light. 1 Corinthians 3.13, the day, God's day of judgment will bring it to light. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. It's an appointment that we all have to keep. You and I need to understand this as Christians. You and I are called to stand one day as believers before Christ, who sits on the judgment seat, to give an account of how we invested our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure in the kingdom of God. Wow. What we do is important. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's final instructions to Timothy, his spiritual son, just before he was going to go away, he said to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, Timothy, do something. Do it with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, Christians, they will go out to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, what do you need to do? Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. We have to do something as believers. Verse six, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a reward for my works. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, judgment day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says we work to receive a reward. We will all stand before Christ to give an account of our works as Christians. Where? At the judgment seat of Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What will it look like? What will this judgment seat look like? In verse 13, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. We will be judged for what we did in our lives, the works, tested by fire. Some will experience gain and reward. Some will experience loss and disappointment. How we live our lives as Christians is important. Actually, it's not our lives. It's not our time. It's not my talent, my treasure. We belong to the Lord. It all belongs to Jesus. We are the Lord's. All we possess, the time, talent, or treasure that I have, I'm only a steward of, managing what is already his. And we will be held accountable for our stewardship, what we did with our lives, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. Actually, his time, talent, and treasure. Jesus made this so plain when he taught. He told this story to his disciples in Luke chapter 19, verses 12 to 16. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called his servants and gave them 10 minas. A mina was about three months wages. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him. We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your miner has earned 10 more. Listen to what Jesus did. He rewarded him. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge of 10 cities. He had a role. The second came and said, sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? You did nothing. You didn't work. You didn't put your talents to work. Then he said to those standing by, take his money away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Sir, they replied, he already has 10. Jesus replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And then listen to this. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, they rejected me. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. 
Wow, this is all about the judgment of God for our works. Those that were servants for whether they were faithful and did good stewardship or those that rejected him and were banished forever. You and I as believers need to understand that we will be judged for how we live our lives and we will be rewarded and we will be assigned roles in the future kingdom of God. Rule over 10 cities, rule over five. Some will suffer loss. Those that rejected Jesus will be judged and they will be banished forever. This is the judgment of God in the Bible. You and I need to understand it. Jesus is coming back. He's going to hold us accountable for our lives. At the judgment seat of Christ, the fire will test our works. Are our works made of gold, silver, precious stones, those things that can't be burned up? They will remain. We will have gain. Or will they be wood, hay, and stubble burned up and there will be loss? Christians will be judged for their service rendered to Christ, to the church, to the kingdom of God. The things done, as Corinthians says in chapter 5, verse 10, the things done in his body, whether good or bad. Notice they're done in the body. How did we spend our time? How did we use our money and our resources? Did we witness faithfully to others about Christ and our faith? Did we suffer for Christ? How did we use the talents and the abilities and our education? How did we treat others? Were we truthful? Were we people of integrity? How did we use our authority and our position? Christian service is not rendered in the spirit. It's in the body, in the flesh. Do you go to church? Were you a part of a cell? Judgment will not be for what we intended to do, not our good intentions, what we wanted to do, what we hoped we'd do, what we thought we might do. What did we actually do to build the kingdom of God? Man, this judge is tough. He will hold us to account. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13, the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will yet be saved even though is only escaping through the flames. Those who trust in Christ for salvation, but their work is in the kingdom is half-hearted, second-rate, spasmodic. They'll be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is the Bible. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, for the time is coming when judgment must begin at the house of God. The first judgment. Judgment begins is the first judgment is after the first resurrection. It's a judgment for believers at the judgment seat of Christ. And then he says, if it first begins with us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? The righteous will be scrutinized for their works. Those who are half-hearted, second-rate, spasmodic will be saved, but scarcely. Hebrews 10, verses 30 to 31. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I will not live a half-hearted, second-rate, give God my leftovers kind of life. I'm going to give him my best because he gave his best for me. I will put him first in my time and my talent and my treasure. I will invest my life in building the kingdom of God. I will spend time in his word. I will pray. I will take time to be a part of a cell. 
and to reach those around me in word and deed, in seed projects. I will use my job, my calling, my career, my influence to promote the king, kingdom of God and the things of God. I will return the Lord's tithe faithfully. I will be sacrificial and generous in my giving. I will support God's work with my money. I will give to reach the lost and help the poor. Why? Because Jesus is watching and he's going to hold me accountable. How we live our lives is recorded in heaven's books. We're going to stand before Jesus to give an account. Jesus was in the house of an important Jewish official one day. He had been invited to a banquet. He then spoke to his host and what he said is important as a life lesson for us, how we should live our lives. He said, don't look for the front seat to honor yourself. Let others take you to the best seat to honor you. And then in verse 12 to 14, in Luke chapter 14, he said, then Jesus said to his host, when you invite, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be, here it is, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. It's so important that I preach this to you, Christian. And it's not just our works that are going to be tested. It is our motives that will be tested. Why do we do what we do? Paul said, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Our motives will be tested, Christians. We will be rewarded and judged according to our, our motives. Why do I do what I do as the pastor of this great church? It's not about the money. It's not about making money. It's not about trips to the United States in business class. It's not about telling stories in pulpits all around the world. It's not about popularity or fame. God knows my heart. He will judge what is hidden. He will expose the motives of my heart. Is it, it's, it's no wonder that I preach about the judgment of God and I remind myself and I remind you that Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, we will stand before God who will judge his people. He will hold me accountable. He will hold you accountable. Jesus is coming back. We all want to see him when he comes. We see him as the prophet, the priest, the king, the healer, the savior, the friend. He's handing out the goodies. We're being blessed. It's a day of grace and mercy. But one day Jesus is moving from his priestly altar and his kingly throne to his judgment throne. One day we will see him as he is now. As John saw him on the island of Patmos. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, Jesus was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head, his hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. And John, the disciple who loved him, 
most intimately when he saw him, the resurrected Jesus in his heavenly splendor, the way he will be on his judgment throne. What did he do? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It is a fearful thing to stand before Jesus. You know, we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory, but we forget there's judgment first. We expect St. Peter to meet us at the, at the gate of heaven. He'll lead us through the pearly gates, down Golden Avenue, and he'll take us to a sign in front of a big gate, Skinner's Mansion. But we forget there's judgment first. We expect an old-fashioned hallelujah, Holy Ghost dancing and singing, Pentecostal meeting on the throne room floor, millions and millions celebrating together, but we forget there's judgment first. I must close. This is such an important message for Christians. First John chapter two says, and now dear children continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is righteous has been born of him. I am going to, Gary Skinner is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus will be seated in his full glory. Around him, around the throne are angels and multitudes. And one of the angels will cry out, Gary, Mark Skinner of Kampala, Uganda, give an account of yourself. I will fall down at Jesus' feet and I will cast my crown and I will cry, I am yours, Lord. And in a moment, my life will flash before me. All I have done will pass by me and in an instant, and I will be seen in that moment for who I truly am and for what I have truly done. And then I know, I know that I know that I know my King Jesus will lift those eyes that burn like fire and he will see into me as I really am and he will reply to me, Gary, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Gary, come and share your master's happiness. We will all stand to give an account. How are we living our lives? Let's bow our heads together, shall we, and pray. Thank you for listening. We hope this encourages you to step into the new. Tune in next time as we delve into the Word of God. For comments and feedback or counseling, write to connect at watotochurch.com. Hey, hey,